0: Hi and welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Howard Rukarsh. I've been a successful realtor in Canada's largest market, Toronto, for over 30 years. And in the latter part of my career, I co-founded Canada's largest independent brokerage, Right at Home Realty, with a roster of 5,700 agents and growing. In 2020, I retired to start this podcast and it's been a fascinating opportunity to meet highly successful and interesting guests, find out about their careers and get their insight into our business. Today's guest is really a treat for me. For full disclosure, I've known Paul Johnson from almost the beginning of Right at Home Realty. Uh, The company was started by myself, uh, my late partner, Arthur Bartram, and Ron Petticord. And in the early days, because we had no agents, Arthur and I together would recruit people. And Paul was one of the people that we had. So for me, it's fun to have someone uh, who has a history with the company and uh, and Paul, welcome to our podcast.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me. If you've got 5,800 interviews to do, you've got a lot to do. All <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Well, you're, you're one of the few I'm doing, so don't, don't worry about that.
1: I'm, uh, I'm honored. Thank right. you.
0: So, so this is what's really fun is Paul started the, you know, in this company that I co-founded when we were just basically an idea. Uh, we weren't successful in 2006. We, we kind of, I don't remember the numbers, but we were just growing. Uh, I think I was 80.
1: agent 180 or 182. Okay, if I'm so not mistaken. It
0: puts you in perspective. With 2004 by six, we had 180, which isn't bad. I mean, I didn't realize we'd done that well, but you know, <laughs> we've done a lot better um, with uh, how many we have. But, but that aside, when when I um, when I was active in the company. One of the roles I had was reti- was not retiring. <laughs> I did that after. One of the roles I had was recruiting. So, you know, it, it was fun for me to do that, and particularly seeing Paul again, because we saw each other over the years. Um, I know Paul won't, won't want me to announce how how he's been an award winner from the get-go. Uh, we're going to talk about his career today. So for those that are interested in, in success, you might find a lot of what Paul's done interesting. So let me start with the question I always do, which is about entrepreneurs in your family. Uh, Paul, were there any entrepreneurs in your family?
1: Well, it, it, interesting question. The, 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 there was, I mean, in, in in large measure, kind of the most entrepreneurial of things. My uh, paternal grandfather uh, was a farmer um, who uh, decided in sort of the quieter months uh, to remain busy because he opened a, a small jewelry store in London, Ontario. Uh, Johnston Jewelers apparently it still exists Um, and so yes he was entrepreneurial he was doing you know the honest work of farming and uh, because uh, that gave him sort of Christmas times and and uh, uh, Valentine's times and whatnot uh, off he decided to open a a small jewelry store which I believe became rather successful Um, so he had dual careers both of which were were risky
0: Hmm, and I, the reason I ask the question is because I think people who have made right um, made a career of real estate um, understand entrepreneurial mindset versus people who come from a, a family that have I guess been in the corporate world, and uh, and and what that means is you understand it's risky, but you like the challenge of the risk, or you wouldn't be in it. I mean, you know.
1: Well, and uh, you, you, you put, you put uh, your finger right on it. I think anyone who gets into at least residential sales in real estate needs to understand that what they're doing is entrepreneurial by nature. Uh, I mean, you're, you're not, you're not going to be given anything. It's not a process. It's not, you're not in a chain. You either make it or you don't make it. Uh, So it is entrepreneurial and it's not surprising as you well know uh, that a lot of the people who get into uh, real estate had careers in other places. What i found is either careers in other sales places, you know, they came out of another sales background or something creative where they were kind of fighting for their lunch. Um, so it's not surprising that so many people as a second career end up in real estate because they, you know, they latched onto something else they really loved and then made a transition into this.
0: Yeah. And I think the other aspect of, of most agents, although they may not realize it until they get, uh, you know, when you're in the licensing course, I don't think it's clear, but once you get licensed and come into the business, what you realize is to your point, it's a competitive business. And, and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the thrill part is, is the win. Is you're competing for a listing, you've got a client who's a buyer competing, get the, the property for your client. In your case, you're working with builders, you're competing for land, you know, sure. you're, you know, competing sure. for trades. So, yeah, I think that that's one of the things that people who, who have never been in a sales business don't recognize till they get in. Uh, sure. On the other hand, I always say this real estate is it's about bricks and mortar, but it's really about people.
1: Right. Yeah. A hundred percent it is that that's, that's, it is a people business and I think it's uh, sometimes unfortunate that the people kind of get uh, replaced with the product, you know, mm-hmm. that we, we often talk in this business about listings and sides and product and units. Mm-hmm. It, it's people. It is. Um, and when you lose track of that, I think it's very sad.
0: And obviously you've done really well in your career. So I think you, you realize that getting into it or maybe along the way that um the relationship, and just in the way you and I, you know, organize this uh, uh, podcast today, so uh, like just professional, um, on time, uh, polite. Like you know, we know each other a long time, but I never really dealt with you through email so much, and and it was really, uh. it was kind of interesting to see how well you operate your business. So, thank uh, you. Uh, you're, My welcome. Gosh. you're welcome. You're welcome. Now, here's another question. These are the basics. So the second basic question I I ask, because people are always interested, um, what did the guests do before real estate? So what did you do?
1: Right. So, my real passion and the thing that I did was, was music and, and nightclubs and and touring. That was kind of my thing for a long time. Um, I started, believe it or not, at 14, uh, doing high school dances with a whole, I had two cases of mixtapes and I'd take them and, and play them. And then at 15, I managed to um, convince my dad to buy me some DJ gear. Uh, and I started DJing. And, and then that sort of progressed. I ended up doing all sorts of different things from Promoting uh, live music events and, and uh, DJed events here in Toronto, and then I eventually moved to Montreal. And we started an operation in Montreal that did a lot of tours across Canada, um, a lot of concerts in Montreal, and Quebec City, and Vancouver, and whatnot, um, and and kind of grew that into a fairly sustainable business um, as much as you could in that in that business. In the last two years, I'm thankful I'm no longer in that uh, because it's obviously been super volatile. But that that's the world I came out of, and I I actually. Actually, in, in looking back I often think to myself that it was an amazing introduction to uh, what I do now because it it was as you pointed out earlier I mean entrepreneurial by nature um, but also gave you a lot of the little bits of knowledge that you needed to survive or I needed to to learn to survive uh, by dealing with obstacles and dealing with lawyers and dealing with contracts and dealing with printing and dealing with all the little bits of production that are not entirely dissimilar in my my world today, uh, from what I was doing, call it 20, 25 years ago, only the hours are better, uh, thankfully, uh, than they were back then.
0: It's interesting because as you talk about the comparison, it's <laughs> you're thinking, you know, I, I also know a bit about the music business, although I never worked in it. But um, the one thing that well, we, you're, you're a player
1: yourself, aren't well, you?
0: I, I'm an amateur, uh, uh. Am, amateur, and I love that. But being an amateur means no no touring, (laughs) so Ah, right. Good call. Um, But the one thing that is similar in in dealing with clients is the range of personalities. To your point, of the people you would have dealt with in that industry, there isn't an industry that has more unique people, I think, in the world. So coming into real estate must have been quieter. (laughs) It was. It
1: was was a little saner at times um, and and quieter and a little, believe it or not, more regimented. But yes, absolutely. I mean, one of the joys of being in that business uh, was that I interacted with a ton of different people Mm -hmm. and such a wide range of backgrounds and personalities and outlooks and behaviors from, you know, perfectly kind of dry people to the most eccentric people you'd find Mm -hmm. And that, that really taught you to listen. And I think it taught you how to, to hopefully address people in a way that was appropriate and, and deal with situations and deal with personalities that at times were challenging. <laughs>
0: Boy, it's, it's really, you know, as I said, we don't know, we know each other from when I was at right at home, but we don't know sure. each other as well as we're getting. And I think anybody that's followed your career will find this podcast fascinating. So I wanna, I'm, I'm going to keep going. So coming out of the music industry, what was it that got you interested in real estate?
1: Well, uh, be utterly frank with you, it was uh, I, I had kind of come to an end and I had been managing some bands and, and that kind of reached a, a logical conclusion for me, at least. And I was drifting around not doing a great deal. And my mother, late mother now, uh, said to me, you should get your real estate license. And um, I suppose not unlike a lot of people and their and their parents, you, you kind of often went, oh, whatever. Uh, but in this instance, I thought, geez um that's interesting that's a, that's that's good advice that's good parental advice and so i just sort of marched off and and did my whatever courses it was back then i don't think it took me more than 3 months to get the the license um, and because I recognized something. I recognized that for me, it was, again, a, a use of some entrepreneurial skills, or at least some go-getter self-started skills, mm-hmm. but that the whole realm of real estate was something I had always really adored. And whether that was just sort of passively as a kid in Toronto, being fascinated by the, you know, original Liberty Village, uh, pre-development, pre-redevelopment, pre-reimagination of the space, to, you know, the years I spent stomping around. Around cities to try and find venues to rent, or or you know nightclub space or rave spaces to hold events. That kind of that whole real estate thing was in my blood, although I never thought of it as necessarily a career. So it, it just was something that fit, and it fit really, really well. And to the extent that when I when I started digging into it, I was like, this is a very natural progression from something I I already quite enjoy. But I owe it to my mother uh, for for having suggested it.
0: It's funny because a lot of the people we've had on here owe it to family members who made that suggestion. Uh, interesting. We, we had Maya, yep. Maya Vander from Selling Sunset, and I think it was her father said, "You're in sales. Why don't you go into real estate sales?" Like you know, parents parents have a good perspective, I guess on what their kids can do. And uh,
1: sometimes they do, and you know that's interesting too. I met an agent. Uh, I had coffee with him maybe two years ago. A younger guy who I just was kind of interested in because he was doing very, very well. And I said to him, and by younger, I mean he was probably twenty-five, I said, What did you do before real estate? No, mm, well, I went into real estate. I left university, went to real estate. So no, no, no. no. No, no one leaves university, goes into real estate. I mean, you did something else. No, 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 that's what I wanted to do. Oh, well, well why? Well, it's what I always wanted to do. And I thought to myself, two things. One, I haven't met many people who've said to me, I've always wanted to do real estate unless they come from a family, you know, that's part right. of the lineage yeah. sort of a, a hand down or whatnot. But but then I realized that there is a bit of a difference today because kids are watching television about real estate. You know, these, these shows like Million Dollar Listings or uh, Love It or List It or whatever, where this career of real estate is such suddenly uh, dra- dramatized in such a way that it actually is the case that younger kids are growing up saying, that's what I want to do, which I don't think, you know, is, is a reasonably new invention um, and, and, a, and, a, and a strange one in, in some respects. Well,
0: that's an interesting observation because when I got, I got into real estate in the, in the 80s and, when, yep. and, and I was, uh, I'd had another career in marketing and I was like kind of one of the young people in the office in the 80s. And and over the years, I, I was recruiting. There were so many young people, and I just listen. Paul it was a good thing for me. I just figured they couldn't get jobs, and then <laughs> you know, this is this is the way their parents said "Go get a license." But but I think you're right. It's it's glamorized. I was watching Selling uh, Selling Sunset last night. The uh, the it, the um, um, program just TV came on, yeah, and yeah, Netflix show, and it's glamorized to the nth degree, but but it's not exactly the real business, but it's great show business, as you can sure. imagine. So. And that's a great
1: distinction. You know, right. I've been approached over the years about different TV things, and I've done some of them sort of piecemeal, but most of the the bigger productions have been some sort of competition, agent versus agent, right. create a condition. Right. You know, it is more dramatic in nature than it is necessarily about the business, which is fine, but TV's over here, and, you know, the business is over here. And so that the sort of... Uh, Uh, the ER erification you know turning the business into something of television is new but it's interesting it's changing the people in the business i think
0: yeah i think you're right it's uh, it's quite an interesting thing i mean i got into this when i retired thankfully adam approached me about doing this podcast and i you know when i retired i I did you know i'd done all the real estate i'd I'd wanted been a salesperson i started a company like it was there was no place to go and then I thought, yeah, this would be fun. And it's been remarkably interesting because I get to meet people like you, although I know you. I don't know you like I know you now. And, and all of the other guests we've had have said they really enjoyed the chance to talk about themselves. Yes. Because in the business, your clients, they're not asking about Paul Johnson and saying, what can you do for me today? Right. That's really. <laughs> and I joke with you all the time about the, you know, the pressure working at the level you work at. Uh, also, just a small story here on Paul Johnston. So when I was recruiting, people who, who knew of you and knew of your success, uh, young people coming in, would say to me, um, you know, how did Paul become so successful? And my response was, ask Paul. <laughs> <You> know, <'cause laughs> it's not, a it, let's put it this way, it's not an easy route. But, you know, everybody sees the results. They don't see the the grind to get there. So. Um, sure, sure. Uh, and in your in, in your career, um, which has been exceptional and interesting, I'm, I'm going to throw in the buzzword, and you've worked with Unique Homes, <laughs> which, of course, is the company name you use. Sure. How did you get into that aspect of marketing these very, very unique and interesting projects?
1: Well, uh, thanks for... Thanks for, for noting that. And and I'll tell you, I, if it was from day one. It wasn't something I moved into. It was from day one. So roll back 15, 16 years when I got my license and frankly, where the real estate business was in Toronto was sort of this first wave of giant condo development. So city place was was a really a thing. You know, all these rail lands were being converted into high-rise condominiums. And this was, you know, part of the discussion was okay, so how is the city of Toronto going to absorb this many condos and do we need this many condos? And and that was the conversation. And because that was kind of the prevailing tendency at the time, it, it caused me to stop and say, wait a minute, if I'm going to get into this business, I need to decide what it is I really want to do. Um, I, I, I need to, to say what are my, my strengths, if you will, and what are the things that really turn me on? And and that has always been architecture and design. I've always been very interested in built form. I've been interested in spaces, uh, urban spaces in particular, for a number of reasons. So I said, you know, I'm going to focus on unique urban homes. My business is going to be unique urban homes. Uh, and so even before I had my license, I designed my little business card that said unique urban homes on it. And of course, at the time, it didn't necessarily mean anything because I'd done anything. But what it was, was a very uh, confident, I think, statement that I was going to be interested in and specialize in homes that are distinctive by virtue of their architecture, their history or their design. And that was what I set out to do in large measure, kind of in opposition to being a guy who does a bit of everything. That, that wasn't particularly my interest. And it wasn't my interest either to be heavily involved in just sort of commodified real estate. And I use that word reservedly because I understand a, a good percentage of the business, especially new construction, is kind of based on that notion of real estate as commodity. But that wasn't something that, that particularly excited me. I know from years of working with and knowing really interesting people and unique people that they invariably had unique homes. They had great law spaces, They had great old conversions. They had great homes that they'd redone. And I, I knew that in focusing on that type of real estate that I'd be back in uh, amongst those people with whom I, I sort of have a kinship, I think, and, mm. and have a, a shared uh, uh, sort of belief and, 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 and appreciation for unique uh, architecture and design.
0: So it's interesting that people think that probably this was that the, <coughs> the unique homes part came as a result of all this career stuff but you you it's part of what you wanted to do anyway right in the beginning it was day 1 yeah. like quite literally it
1: was day 1 the, the the card said unique urban homes I I put together my own website that said unique urban homes and then I went out trying to figure out how to how to do that but no it was a starting point that was not uh, somewhere i ended up it was a, it was a mission uh, when I, when I got licensed
0: and, and the homes are not necessarily single family. When you say you new urban homes, you work on, on multi-unit and incredibly interesting. I know I've, uh, you know, I, I, over the years I've seen where, um, uh, you recently or last year, you'll know better than me, where you sold the most expensive condo, I think in the city or something, like yeah. where, the pool. where was yeah. that, where was that? Yeah. It-
1: yeah, so we, yes, I mean, the neat thing for me is properties are unique, and that can range everything from really a great $500,000. 000- resale condominium to yes we sold the most expensive uh, condominium in the city um but that's has another interesting component to it about 40 percent of my day-to-day business is still resale still conventional resale where someone calls and says paul i have a home i have a townhouse I have a loft I have a condo that i'm interested in selling and it's unique because of this reason or that reason this is 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 a is a condominium that I know extremely well because it's in fact in a building that we sold. Mm-hmm. So that other 60% of my business is the new construction piece. Um, so it's consulting and then doing marketing and sales for developers who are really committed to the notion of, you know, design-driven, integral, smart, different projects. So that condominium happened to be located in a project that we had sold from New Construction mm-hmm. and, and then resold it on the on the resale market. And it's a, a development called Hill and Dale uh, at Young and Roxborough that I'm immensely proud of because I think it really changed the paradigm in Toronto and it demonstrated that tremendously good design, architecturally from an interior perspective, from a space planning perspective, can command an, an exceptional uh, price per square foot. And in that instance, almost three thousand dollars a square foot.
0: Wow! What what a story! I mean, really. <laughs> Um, <laughs> here's something that's more controversial uh, and I know that you recently commented on this and this is about laneway houses uh, mm. in Toronto um, and I, I think it was on social media you did make a comment but um, it, uh, you've been involved in that recently correct in laneway so so I've been involved with it for a long time okay um, so I think it's a great idea I think it's using uh, the you know the, the urban space in a really good way and, and uh, actually, we had uh, uh, Su- Suzanne, um, f- oh, Adam, Suzanne from, okay, we both struck out on, oh, Bella used to be, <laughs> Wilkinson, Suzanne's Wilkinson, uh, who's one of the principals um, at um, a design company. And her and her husband, uh, yes. figure three, she's at figure three. Uh, and yeah. her and her husband um, were building. I mean, these are people who know the business and they're design sure. people. And I think that's probably. Laneway houses aren't going to be little boxes. I think they're going to be really interesting design. Am I on the right track or not?
1: Well, I think so. I think you're right. I think that, you know, we sold a laneway home uh, two or three months ago that was precisely that. I mean, utterly unbelievable. It was big, it was about 5,500 square feet of of space um, and sold for. $5 $5 million. And, and I think one of the reasons why a property like that fetches so much is that the, the true laneway property, which is to say an independent freehold bit of land with a laneway property is exceptionally rare. Mm-hmm. Um, what the new laneway guidelines are really addressing for the most part is this notion of ancillary structures or secondary structures where you're building something on your property that can either serve as a rental property or um, you know can be additional living space for for, for the primary residents, in the few instances where there are sort of laneway properties that exist as, as by virtue of of of, of the condition uh, you know being grandfathered where it, it truly is a, a home on a laneway there's a tremendous amount of interest in that we sold our first one maybe a decade ago uh that was a home that i had discovered just in my general travels walking around the city and i i was just amazed by it so when the owner called me and said geez i'd like you to come and see because i'd like to put it up for sale I, that really touched me because this was something that i had had seen so many times and really aspired to to understand better and i think those laneway conditions are are becoming very popular um, whether they solve our housing crisis i to be announced uh whether they uh, improve the kind of the conditions on the laneways i think it's it's clear um, i think that's nothing but good um and I, I do hope we see a whole lot more of them
0: I agree with you. I think, you know, I don't I don't know the politics of all of this, but I think there's a market for it. And at the end of the day, it's the market that determines everything. So very much. Very much. One of the things we've been talking about, because I started the or Adam and I started the podcast as the uh, pandemic hit, is we've asked people, how has it affected the projects that you worked on then uh, and now as we seem to be coming out of it now? What, What effect did it have on you and your team?
1: It's been huge. Um, You know, we launched our first sort of COVID project, a a beautiful development um, in the the junction called Junction Point Mm -hmm. um, during COVID and uh, had to figure out how to adapt to a world where we couldn't have a bunch of people standing in a showroom um, and had to learn how to conduct ourselves on Zoom like most people did, but also how to become more transactional online. I always used to joke that, you know, one day we we put a little "buy now" button on the website. Um, I, I, you know, and I, I literally joked that well, no one's buying real estate, you know, in in that sort of structure. But lo and behold, what we discovered as a result of of COVID was that if you can communicate the qualities and the design and the attributes and the and and and, and the, the proposition of a new construction. Uh, property adequately, enticingly and well, that there are a certain number of people who are prepared to pull the trigger without that showroom um, experience. Um, And so we ended up transacting dozens of properties in the absence of that very direct one-on-one communication, which I had always felt was sort of at the core of what we did. So we learned to adapt. Um, and that has been a really interesting lesson. It, it, I must admit, it was much less interesting. It was much less fulfilling. It was much less engaging, um, but it was part of the business. I'm now happy that we're starting to launch projects again where we're actually able to open presentation centers and have people come in. We have a project upcoming in Leslieville called Biblio, where we've built a beautiful presentation center and being able to do some you know, restricted appointments, some limited appointments um, and have people standing there having a conversation as opposed to staring into a screen but now there's both capacities so maybe that's good
0: i think, I think what it's done is opened up the uh, the the world of potential buyers not maybe sellers but you know if someone's used to zoom they could be living in london england coming to True. toronto and they they're comfortable making a decision that way which would have never happened prior to the zoom thing right so for, never. for you know for this industry it's it's widened the possibilities um I want to move on to another topic, which always fascinated me because I do know your business uh, somewhat is the rental business. Now, I know you've done some high end rentals, correct? Um, People may not recognize what high end means (laughs) until until you describe what that means. So, Paul, uh, give us an example of what you define as a high end rental.
1: Well, we don't. It, it's not a big portion of the business, but just by virtue of having had clients who have some great properties who, for other for various reasons, aren't using them. Yes, we've rented houses for fifty five and sixty thousand dollars a month, or. or, or $100,000 a day, in some instances, just for very specific usages. Um, and these are typically, again, people who are are coming to Toronto, typically for either a short period of time, uh, or are busily kind of building a new home or renovating a home who need somewhere to stay for a while, but aren't really overjoyed with with what the options are so there are luxury truly luxury rentals in in the business uh, there aren't many um but there are a few and we've had the privilege of privilege of you know, leasing both uh, some high end single family homes and some really unique condominiums as well and lofts over the years but uh, yeah the high end in in toronto the affluent market in toronto for rentals is a, is a pretty interesting spot
0: and absolutely that's why i brought it up because i don't think most people realize you know high high yeah. uh, end rentals not five thousand a month anymore. No, no, that's it's not. That's anymore. actually no. everything right now. Um, okay, so going back to the early days in two thousand and six uh, when sure. you started, how would you define how the market it, um, has changed from when you were? I mean, there's a zillion things we can talk about, but what are the things you think are the most important?
1: Well, I think it. it I think it's it's one and the same. Um, and, and let me try and be as concise about this as I can. Obviously, there's a lot more people in the business. You and I know that. The growth of Right at Home is is is, a, is proof positive that the, the business of selling real estate has changed. But in lockstep, at the same time, what has changed is there has been a, a kind of a new almost industry emerge in Toronto specifically in pre-construction and new construction, uh, principally condominiums. So again, about 60% of the business that I do is new construction, pre-construction, Construction, However, that is really a, a very streamlined level of it and a very specific level of it that I often call real homes for real people. So we're designing and involved with projects that are really intended for upsizers and downsizers and people looking for homes, as opposed to the 90% of the pre-construction business, which is principally preoccupied with kind of the investment buyer, the guy who's buying eight doors or 20 doors or 40 doors or, or whatever in pre-construction. That's probably, to me, the biggest change is that now we have a marketplace in Toronto of predominantly or exclusively investor driven uh, development that uh, has in its sort of realm the agents and the buyers and the sellers um, and the developers whose focus is purely that doesn't happen to be my uh, expertise It doesn't have to be the thing that that I stare at every day, and I'm you know I'm sure anyone who who did an executive MBA would would, would scold me and say, well, you ought to grow your business so that you were selling a billion dollars of investment properties a year and representing towers and whatnot. That's not what I'm um, really passionate about. It's not particularly what I'm interested in, but it is a big uh, and a compelling and, and a major part of the of the industry now in Toronto. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and, you know, um, the, the, the thing about this business, and that's why I asked is, uh, again, I, I look at the early days when I was recruiting and I would say to people, you know, um, the business is going to change every five years. (laughs) Now it it changes every year in the max, right? I mean, you probably see it because you're in it every day, how things are moving so fast. Okay. Now, now about uh, your career. Um, I know this may be hard, but it's a good question. Um, What's been your biggest success in real estate?
1: Well, um, I have the great privilege of having conversations with people, whether it's once a week or a couple times a month or whatnot, where someone will say to me, you know, we really follow the work you do. Um, We're here because we've really admired over the years the developments, the townhome projects, the mid-rise projects, the infill projects that you've represented and helped uh, bring to market. Um, And we really love what you do. That's a huge win. I mean, that to me is really um, something that warms my heart, I suppose, because it demonstrates that after 15 years of sort of pursuing this thing, which is let's, let's focus on design driven, really compelling architecture and great design intended for, for great kind of urban living that, that people do identify that and say you have done something that is, is significant. So from, from the, from the, from the core, I suppose that that's probably the most heartwarming thing, but the other sort of piece of that is that i now have a piece of legacy and and to me that was always a really important thing i've had the great privilege of working with like-minded developers and architects and designers and planners to create some projects across the city, a few dozen projects across the city now that exist and that are performing and providing great housing for people, and and that I take great pleasure in driving by developments that we represented and sold, and look up and know that we had a I had a, a role to play in, in those in those projects. That's something I take enormous pleasure in, and and to me is very important. I mean that's 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 something I celebrate because it does mean that uh, long after I'm gone, most of those projects will still be serving the purpose of providing dynamic housing for people
0: that's a really interesting way to look at it and i can see why because you you have designed and worked with um i mean your projects. the word unique even if you hadn't chosen it they're, they're unique somebody would have told you hey paul those are unique and and uh, they are and they're, and they're design driven and it's it's
1: They are, Howard. And look, I think this is something, again, I've been really focused on it. I'm incredibly proud. I think in over 11 years, we've won project of the year for our developments four times at build. Um, And that to me is really flattering. It means that the industry too is saying, look, these finer grain design driven, uh, end user focused, progressive, intelligent uh, developments Are the sort of thing that the industry is now lauding and saying, look, this is something we should be celebrating. So to have. I don't know, 30 build awards or something, but specifically to have four projects of the year in that context is something I take quite seriously too because it obviously means that what we're doing and the people we're doing it with, it's resonating and, and it's it, it's being applauded and it's being celebrated, which is, which is great. I mean, build is an industry thing. It's not particularly an outside facing thing, but it's nice to see the industry appreciating things that are more finer grained and, and more carefully constructed.
0: And for those that don't know what Build is, I've been a member of Build. It's the Building Industry and Land Development Inst in, um Institute Association. And mm-hmm. and to Paul's point, <clears throat> every developer is a member, small, big, uh people uh who have corollary businesses to development. It's an enormous organization and they, they do a a great job of promoting the, the 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 industry. And they have I and I'm sure if you won the awards, you you've been at there at their awards dinner. Their awards Indeed. dinner is the most gigantic <laughs> dinner I was ever at. <laughs> it's fun. It's and it's, it's a lot fun. of networking and all of that. So that's who sure. build is. Um, now to your here's another one. Uh, we only have a few more minutes. I know you're busy. So please. What what what's been your biggest challenge and what did you learn from it?
1: Well, it's, there's probably been two. One is learning what to say no to. Um you know, recognizing that my business is intentionally kind of a niche business. Over the years, I've had to politely decline both you know conventional listings for people who call me and say, "Hey, I think this is a home that fits your brand in your portfolio." And frankly, I don't believe it does. So I have to be gentle and and respectful. And the other is looking at developments in some instances that are tremendous in terms of their size and the gross potential of them, but that for. Any number of reasons don't fit what we do. They just don't fit the moniker. I always want to make sure that we're value-add to the clients that we take on. So where the context and where the pedigree and where the expertise in in, in marketing and design and so forth is a value-add. So we're approached fairly frequently by developers who say, look, you should look at this. This is perfect for you. And it's just not. So that's disappointment because it, it it's always challenging to say no to, to work. But I think it's probably one of the greatest disciplines of growing a business. And and maybe the other more specific uh, disappointment was we have had two projects get canceled over the years. Um, We've had two projects that were sold that uh, were not completed as a result of sort of market forces and planning problems and whatnot. One of which we resuscitated and resold and everything worked out very well. But another one that was was buried and it was an incredibly challenging and very emotional and very um, difficult uh, exercise to go through and tell people that this thing that they had bought, which is something they were dreaming of and thinking of holidays and Christmases and birthdays in, it wasn't going to happen. Um, and that's profoundly disappointing and and, a, and obviously a great financial loss to the business, but more to the point, uh, kind of a great torturous loss to the people who had entrusted the developer to deliver something, which wasn't going to happen. So that, that I, you know, I, 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 I think about that often because it reminds me that there's people involved here, right? This is, this is the business we're in.
0: Now listen, I think it's a testament to you. I mean, some people would never acknowledge particularly on a podcast a failure, but you know, what did you learn from it? You learned a lot, right? So, so that was the, that's always the upside of failure. It's the only way you, I mean, you. Look, I, I read this somewhere. You learn more from failure than successes, right? I think and, it's very and, true. Or, yeah,
1: I think it's very, very true. Um, and uh, we we all endure them. And what you take away, sometimes you don't get much, other than just sort of bruised ego. But if you're able to take something away, then great. Yeah.
0: Um, now I know you've got lots on the go. You mentioned one, um, but what what mm-hmm. projects we're in? Um, we're now in November mm-hmm. of 2021. What projects do you have on the go?
1: We're wrapping up a lot. We just completed the last sale of a very, you know, lovely project called Chaplin Townhomes in Midtown, where at the tail end of some. Fabulous homes called uh, Charbonnel, uh, which are some uh, 17 townhomes in in Summerhill. Uh, we have just started the preliminary launch for a project called Biblio in Le- in Leslieville which is an amazing 28 unit uh, condo building, truly boutique condo building. And we have three or four projects sort of planned for the new year. But uh, you know, I do find towards the end of the year you're wrapping down, um, and we've been sort of selling the remainder of our projects, and a lot of them are under construction 1181 queen west which is amazing uh mid-rise building opposite the gladstone hotel uh, is rising up uh, junction house and junction point two projects we worked on in the junction are both under construction so we're at this really lovely stage where where a lot of projects are nearing the end of completion of construction or or halfway there and some new stuff for the the new year which i'm ultra excited about
0: well, that explains why you're busy. And I'm going to really, I'm going to get to the end of this because I know you have an appointment shortly. So I know it'd be great to say you do this all on your own, but I know you have a team. And And what sort of roles do the team members play in, in uh, what uh, you do?
1: Well, I've been very fortunate. I mean, I, I have always said that I want to keep this quite small because I'm not particularly interested in, in running a big team, um, despite some of need offers to do so and i really enjoy doing the business i mean howard it's actually true that i still do the business i'm still negotiating agreements of purchase and sale and taking lawyers letters and responding i i you know this is something that really that that I don't want to lose touch with. Um, I have a very small uh, team of uh, two agents who work with me on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Then I have the support of uh, office administrator and on-site administrators for our presentation centers, and then a select group of people who work with us in presentation centers just focused on new construction. So I'm able to do new construction as well as a, a fairly vibrant resale business, while also kind of maintaining and making sure that the rest of the business that's either new construction and resale uh, continues uh, smoothly. So it's small um, intentionally um, and 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 it's, um, it's nimble. Uh, we're able to move quite quickly uh, on projects and listings. Uh, and also because it's small, we're able to really focus on the things that we're particularly good at, which is unique urban homes. All
0: right. And the last question is, what would you say to someone who is interested in getting into the luxury end of the real estate business? Because that's what they look at uh, when they look at you, they see you in that. So, how would you respond?
1: Well, luxury is a word. Just be super quick on that. That I'm always anxious about. I mean, uh, taking for example, Hill and Dale is a project where I mentioned this this, this condominium that we sold not 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 long ago to astronomical price. I think it's very easy to say luxury this, luxury that, but it doesn't mean anything. What you need to understand, especially from a new development perspective, where we're often brought in is what are the things that make something luxurious? You know, what are the things that actually lead you to feel that this is something worth spending on? And this has to do with a caliber of space, caliber of design, a caliber of architecture that leads people who have a a palette, a decent palette, an educated eye to say that's something that I'm going to admire. That's often for our business things have a very limited scale you know we sell developments up to about 120 140 million and and that's where we stop because I like the smaller scale uh infill development work I think what you need to do if you say hey I want to get in the luxury market is understand what that means to you understand what it is to be involved with both the people uh, in that milieu, but also the type of homes that you're going to find, Uh, because luxury on its own doesn't mean anything. Uh, What matters to me and what matters to my business is finding properties and the people who own them, um, who have a real taste, a real level of of sophistication of design, who admire, appreciate, and reward great architecture and design, and, and are looking to sell their property or development on the basis of merit, on the basis of something being fundamentally good. If it ends up being very affluent, so be it. If some people call it luxurious, so be it. But at the end of the day, is it a unique urban home? Does it fit this notion of being distinctive by virtue of architecture, history, and design? That's what interests me.
0: A Great answer, because it really did define luxury in a way that people don't think of it. So good so, Paul, I'm I'm I've kept you longer than I said I would. I've enjoyed it. My fault, but uh, let's let's use the language of your your last career, and that's a wrap.
1: <laughs> okay. That is so. indeed. Hey, that was great fun, and, yeah, and I really too. appreciate your time and your interest.
0: Well, it's great, and all the best in the future. Uh, happy holidays, and maybe we'll get you back again if you have some time. All right.
1: I I enjoyed it. Take good care. Thanks
0: a lot, Paul. Thank you.